Jude is where I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, the book of Jude. I'll tell you the most nerve-wracking thing as you approach this pulpit is not tripping on that set of stairs right there. It's harder than you think it is, all right? Jude is where I want you to turn, the book of Jude. You're going to find your place, Jude, verse number 20. It's just one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude, verse 20, verse 21, 22, and 23 this morning. Very simple thought, and here's the thought. How to stand when others fall. How to stand when others fall. I enjoy going for a run. Any runners in the room? Let me just, just see real quick. Okay. I enjoy running. I, I generally, once or twice a week, leave my house early in the morning. I run to uh, our church. It's about six miles away from my home. Enjoy, I enjoy jogging through the city. If I'm not running to the office, then I choose to run around um, our subdivision and up to a little shopping center. There's a Home Depot right there, so you run right past the Home Depot. The, the Home Depot has a, a back loading dock. I'm running one day, I come to the loading dock, and as I go to cross the driveway of the loading dock, a large truck making a delivery cuts right in front of me almost hits me. I stop. The truck races right in front of me. I'm really upset. I'm mad. The truck goes on, doesn't honk, doesn't wave, doesn't do anything. So I make my way across the driveway. As soon as I get across the driveway, I look back at the driver. He can see me. I can see him. He's looking in his mirror and I'm giving him this mean look, you know, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? You know, a good, mean, angry face. And as I do, I start to run and I shake my head and I wave my hands like this. I start to run and without realizing it, I trip the curb. My foot hits the curb and right down onto my face I go. The guy drives up the dock. He honks his horn. Eh, 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 you know. <laughs> he saw it. I saw it. I felt about this big right at that moment. Sometimes in life, it's hard to stand. Jude says, verse number 20, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives this morning. And cause us to be submissive and obedient to it. And may it strengthen us for the race that you have given us to run. And may you find us faithful. And in Jesus' name we pray and all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. People in the church today are more susceptible to falling than ever before. Gallup released a poll from 2021 saying that Americans' membership in the houses of worship has continued to decline. It's dropped below 50% in the first time that Gallup has been doing these polls for almost eight decades now. 
You say, well, why, why is that? Why, why is it, Dave, that church attendance is on the decline? Well, there's probably a variety of reasons for it. I'm not here this morning to delve into every aspect of why church attendance might be on the decline. I'll simply, I'll simply do this this morning and point out that this is not new. While it might be new in our understanding of it, it is not new in the understanding based on New Testament Christianity. You will remember that there were those who deserted Christ, even the disciples themselves. Jesus had called them to him and he said, will you go away also? Will you turn back? Will you... Release your hand from the plow. Will you give up on the calling that I have placed on you? You'll see it even here in the book of Jude that there were those who had gone away from the faith. And so Jude is writing to the church and he is saying, you must be willing to contend for the faith because there are some who are not contending for the faith. You'll be reminded of what Paul even says, that in the last days, there will be this great falling away from the faith. There will be this great turning from the truth that has been delivered to us. This has already happened in the book of Jude. Jude has said that there were those who just like us, they had faced temptation, they had been asked difficult questions, they were being beaten down by the culture and the society around them. And over the process of time, they became slowly disillusioned. They became discouraged. And then they eventually deserted the faith. And some even went farther than that. And they began to shipwreck other faith. They began to destroy the faith of others. And Judas called these individuals false teachers, apostates. He's called them waterless clouds. He's called them rocks beneath the waves. He's called them all kinds of things. And this is, this is on Jude's heart. Now, if, if we would just for a second this morning unplug the Pharisee mode and think, man, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't, want to, I don't want to shipwreck my faith. I don't, I don't want to desert the truth of the Word of God. If we would heed the warning from the writers of the New Testament and ensure that we ourselves are not tearing down the faith that God has given to us through His Word, but instead ensure that we are building ourselves up. That even though we sit here this morning having signed a statement of faith, those affirmations that you agreed to, that does not make fiction out of the warnings of the Bible. Certainly there have been times in your life where you've felt the fiery darts of unbelief. You ever, you ever wondered why teachers who taught us spiritual truths years ago are, are now not even seen in the church at all? You ever wondered how a spiritual leader or a pastor could run away from their family, forsake the work of the gospel, turn his back on Christ for just some fleeting pleasure? 
But what are we, what are we to make of that when that happens? Well, you should, you should understand it as someone who has failed to listen to the warnings of the Word of God, that you should take heed to yourself. You should be very, very honest, and you should live with humility. You should recognize that if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before... These are the warnings of the Bible to you and to me. So Jews said, you'll note it in verse number 20, but ye beloved. So he's shifting. He's been talking about those who had shipwrecked their faith. And he's pointing out to this church, take heed, pay attention. This is what they are doing. Earnestly contend against these kind of ideologies and philosophies. Stand against this. Those who've gone the way of Korah, the way of Balaam, the way of Cain. Resist this. Now he's turning his attention to these. But you, beloved... As a wise and spiritually mature people, they spend their energy not simply reacting to the world around them, not simply reacting to what others may or may not be doing, what others may or may not be saying. Wise, spiritually mature people spend their energy responding and reflecting on what God has said. Jude turns his attention away from them, those who have shipwrecked their faith, and he turns his attention to us. They, here's what he's saying, they may be falling, but you can be standing. And he says it in this way, notice, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. So he gives you several things in this passage of what it must, of what we must, the disciplines we must have in order to be able to stand when others fall. Let me give them to you quickly. Notice this first. Keep building your faith. Keep building your faith. If you want to stand while others are falling, you and I must commit ourselves to keep building up our faith. Notice what he says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. He says, if other people are destroying their faith, if other people are falling away from their faith, well, then the solution for you and for me is to be building up our faith. You, you remember that Judas said, I wanted to write a letter to you to encourage you. I wanted to write you a sweet note about the common salvation that we all enjoy. But I found it necessary instead to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So the word contend for the faith simply means the basic principles that we hold as truth. So, so Jude is not saying, well, you have a version of faith, and I have a version of faith, and they have a version of faith. So just 
hold to whatever your version of faith is. No, no, no. That, that, that's, a, that's a contemporary theology. That's a, that's a fleshly thought. That's an that's a earthly idea. No, there is the faith, the basic principles of truth that we hold. So Jude is not saying, well, you can just make up whatever version of faith you want to make up. Jude is saying, contend for the faith. And now he's saying, build yourself up in that faith that you find yourself contending for. So he's saying, build yourself up on the truth. Hear me very clearly. The truth never changes. The truth never changes. Opinions change. Philosophies change. Preferences change. People change. Methods change. The truth never changes. It is settled. It is settled. The truth is the truth. Regardless of culture, regardless of generation, regardless of continent, regardless of ethnicity, the truth never changes. You say, well, Dave, what is the truth? Great question. John answered that by saying, thy word is truth. This never changes. The truth of the Word of God never changes. Why? Because the Word of God is a reflection of the character of God Himself. And our God's character is one that is immutable, which means it never moves, it never adjusts. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Jude is saying, listen, others around you are falling. And if you do not, if you want to ensure that you do not fall, then build yourself up on the truth. The truth of the word of God. Have a hunger for it. Have a passion for it. Have a fervor for it. Love the word. Let it be. Let it be medicine to your sick soul. Let it be honey to your taste. Let it be the lamp that guides your feet. Let it be what leads you into all godliness. Let it be what drives you into your sanctification. The truth of the word of God. But notice this. He says building yourself up. On your, see that word, your most holy faith. So there were many people who were abandoning the faith because it was not their faith at all. It was Jude's faith, or it was the pastor's faith, or it was the parent's faith, or it was the professor's faith, or it was your friend's faith. No, no, no. It must be your faith. There must be this personal ownership in response to the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, The Spirit expressly speaketh that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines. In other words, there are going to be those who tear down their faith. So our response to that should be that we are going to build up our faith. This is the antidote to falling. Some people will leave the faith. You and I should love the faith. Some people will desert the faith. You and I should be determined in the faith. If they are forsaking the faith, well then you and I should be fortifying the faith. This is what he's saying to do. 
What it reminds us of is it reminds us that our spiritual life, our spiritual growth requires maintenance. The second law of thermodynamics, anything left to itself will fall apart. The same is true for our spiritual lives. Did you know that Christian growth is not automatic? It doesn't just happen. It happens because we are intentional in it. You don't just let it go and let it grow. That's not how it works. No, no, we must add to our faith. This is what the Apostle Peter writes. Add to your faith virtue and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance. And then the long list he goes down of saying, here is what you must be adding to your faith. You must exhort your effort. You must focus your mind. You must have some intentionality about yourself as it relates to building up the faith that God has given to you and to me. So the question simply is, are you growing strong in the faith? Are you growing strong or are you just growing old? Spiritual growth is not proportional to physical age. You you know, you you can be a really old baby. So it's, it's all you are. Spurgeon has this great line on this. He says, in the church of God, there are children who are 70 years old. Yes, little children displaying all the infirmities of declining years. One would not like to say of a man of 80 that he has scarcely cut his wisdom teeth. And yet, there are such Simply growing old does not mean that you are growing spiritually. To grow spiritually requires intentionality. It requires building up ourselves in the truth of the Word of God. So keep building. How do do you stand when others fall? First, keep building your faith. Say it with me. Keep building your faith. Number two. Keep praying in fervor. Look what he says. But beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith. Notice this, praying in the Holy Ghost. So so the truth of the word of God, the word of God and prayer, they go together. And they always go together because it communicates, it, it, it completes rather, the cycle of communication in our relationship to God. When you read the Bible, that is God speaking to you. When you pray, that is you speaking to God. So you're reading the Bible, and this is the, this is the primary way that God speaks to us today is through His Word. So when you read the Bible, it's God speaking to you. When you pray to God, that is, that is you speaking to God. And you need both in your spiritual life. You need the Word of God, God's wisdom, God's knowledge giving, being given to us, God's Word being given to us. But you also need prayer, pouring out your heart to God, expressing your fears and concerns to God, bringing your needs before God. Keep praying in fervor. You say, well, Dave, why did God choose this? Bible reading and prayer. 
to, to fuel the relationship that we have with him? And, and the answer is very simple. The answer is because of, because of dependence. God wants us to be dependent on him. He wants us to recognize that we need him. He wants us not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in him. God is not attracted to self-sufficiency. God is not attracted to this, I got this, spirit. He is not attracted to pride. In fact, God resisteth the proud. It literally means he stands against the proud. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Be humble or you'll stumble. And Bible reading and prayer is a declaration of my humility. It's a declaration that says, I need to hear from God and I need to talk to God. I am dependent on Him. So keep building your faith, keep praying in fervor. Notice what he says, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, there are some that would teach that this passage means that we must be praying in tongues. This is what they say praying in the Holy Ghost is, that you just got to buckle down and you just pray through whatever trouble you're in. You just pray long enough with enough words, with enough fervor, with enough spirit, with enough um, intensity, and you'll get through whatever you're going through. Well, Jude is make a very clear point here that this is not what praying in the Holy Ghost means. Notice verse 18. He says, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. And these be they who separate themselves sensual, not having the spirit. In other words, he says, our, our, our spiritual disciplines, the, the Bible reading and prayer, these are not things that we are doing in the flesh. These are not things that we are doing simply because it's sensual. It moves the flesh. It motivates the flesh. It appeals to the flesh. Praying in the flesh calls on human ability. It calls on human effort to push through the difficulty. Fill up your prayer with a bunch of words. Jesus actually warned us explicitly against this idea. You don't just use a bunch of words in praying, some kind of vain repetition. It's not praying in the flesh. It's not praying to some other spirit. It's not praying in some kind of a fake way. Do you not know that there will be mockers at the last time? No, no, praying in the Holy Ghost is praying with a dependency on Him. Asking God, asking God, bringing to God your needs, your cares, your fears, your worries, your necessities, and being dependent on Him for the answer. Building up your faith, praying in fervor, Third, keep living in favor. Look at verse 21. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? 
Keeping yourselves in the love of God. How do I keep myself in the love of God? Well, I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that your salvation is dependent on your effort. He's not saying keep yourself saved. You know why we know that? Because you can't keep yourself saved. If you could lose your salvation, if I could lose my salvation, I most certainly would. You didn't get yourself saved, so you cannot keep yourself saved. You cannot keep yourself that way. Look, look go back. Jude's already answered this. He's not contradicting himself. Look at verse number one. Verse number one of the book of Jude. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. So that's how he begins the chapter. That's how he begins the book. Look at verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So he's not saying you and I must keep ourselves saved. This is the work that God himself has committed to do through the, through the, through the sacrifice of his son on the cross and through the sealing of his spirit in our lives. So he's not saying keep yourself saved. So when he says keep yourself in the love of God, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you and I must keep ourselves in a place where God can love us. I, I, I hear people all the time say, well, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know how God could love me. And sometimes when I hear that, I think, well, I don't know how God can love you either. But I don't know how God could love you because I don't know how he loves me. Except to discover this truth. God loves the unlovable. He loved us when we were at our worst. He does not love us when we are at our best. He loves us when we were at our worst. Paul says that God commended, he, he proved, he showcased his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were saints, not while we were students of West Coast, not while we had it all together. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God cannot possibly love you any more than he loves you. God cannot possibly love you any more and God chooses to not love you any less. So what does it mean then? What does it mean to keep yourself in the love of God? And here it is. Listen. Keep yourself in a place, a spirit, a heart's attitude, a mindset, where you are experiencing the love of God. Keep yourself in a place where you are enjoying the love of God. Where you are surprised by the love of God. Where you are moved by the love of God. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. If you went outside in the sun, the sun was shining, it was a beautiful day. If you went outside in the sun, how would you keep yourself in the sunshine? 
You know, it's possible to go outside in the sun, but not experience the sun, not enjoy the sun, not keep yourself in the sun shine. If you walked outside, you saw the, the bright sun, you got out an umbrella, you opened it up and you stood underneath the umbrella. You're outside in the sun, but you are not experiencing the sunshine. You are not enjoying the warmth of the sun. Keep yourself in the love of God is like keep yourself in the sunshine that as the sun moves and the shadows adjust you find yourself in the love of God moving closer and closer and closer and in step with his love in your life keep yourself in the love of God it's possible to be in the sun but not keep yourself in the sunshine and oftentimes the reason this is, is because there's an, there's an impediment to this. You've got something blocking the sunshine. Maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's resentment, maybe it's sin, maybe it's lust, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a fractured relationship with your parents or your pastors. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do I ensure that I will stand even though others may fall? First, keep building your faith. Second, keep praying in fervor. Third, keep living in favor. I don't know what this semester holds for you, but listen, friend, keep yourself in the love of God. You get tired, you get worn out, you get frustrated with place and status. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the sunshine. That's what he's saying. Ensure that there's nothing that comes between you and the Savior. It's easy in our day to let things creep in. They rob our spirit of joy. Rob our hearts of contentment and satisfaction. Find ourselves not with a heart that's, that's experiencing the love of God, keeping ourselves there but find ourselves with our eyes on everyone else and everything else. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Decide right now, I'm going to walk in the sunshine. You know how easy it is to become disillusioned? You know how easy it is to become resentful? You know how easy it is to become bitter? I don't like this rule, I don't like this thing. I don't like what they said, I don't like what they did. We must fight against that. We must reject the spirit of the age to be a scorner, to be a mocker. It's easy to scorn, it's easy to mock, it's easy to tear down. But we as the children of God, we who are called to the service of God, must keep ourselves in the love of God. 
This is not some kind of wishful thinking. This is not some kind of blind optimism. No, the, the Christian's feet is firmly on the ground. The Christian is well aware of all the difficulties that surround us. The Christian knows the battle that we are engaged in. But the Christian is committing himself to build the faith, to pray in fervor, to keep living in favor. There's a fourth thought here, the back half of verse number 21. Keep expecting the future. Notice what he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. Almost every commentator, almost every Bible scholar on this passage treats this verse with, without a doubt as, as Jude referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are told to look forward to his coming. The word looking literally means earnestly. Look with anticipation. Look with an eagerness. Wake up in the morning and pull back the curtain and look to the sky and think to yourself, it might be today. This is what happens, performed hundreds of wedding ceremonies for great couples in the church. Generally what happens, all the bridal party come through the door and the, the bride watches or, or the groom watches the parents and the grandparents, the bridal party, the flower girl, the ring bearers. The doors stay shut in the back and the groom, although he sees all of these other things, he isn't looking for all of those other things. The groom is looking for his bride. And he's stretching his neck and he's up on his toes. and He's trying to peek through the crack in the door and he wants to get a glance of his bride. And it's great to watch as the doors swing open in the back of the sanctuary and in walk the bride and her dad or whoever's choosing to give her away. Doors swing open, in walks the bride. And almost without fail, you can hear it from the groom. As he knows, in about 24 minutes, she's mine and I'm hers. Barring some objection from the crowd. And he's anticipating it. And I wonder for us as Christians, are we on our toes, neck stretched, peeking through the crack of the door, looking for the lover of our soul to come and bring us to where he is. This is what it's supposed to be for us. We're just simply trying to keep our head down and get through and push through. No, no, no. We're looking for the lover of our soul and we're longing for the day that we will be with him and he will be with us and we will live together in all of eternity fully content with all that he is. Jude says, you want to you stand when others fall? 
Remind yourselves, Jesus is coming soon. So listen, friend, be done with the trivialities of this life. Be done with the small things. Put off wasting your time. Eternity is close. Jesus is coming soon. It will be here before you know it. Only one life. It will soon be past. Live, serve, love, pursue, anticipate, build while you can. Because the night is coming when no man can work. The night is coming when no man can work. Keep anticipating the future. Last one and we'll be done. Keep reaching the faithless. And if some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, Who's the last person you've shared the good news of Jesus Christ with? When's the last time you've given out the gospel? There's a correlation in the mind of Jude. The, the, the correlation is this, that those of us who are trying to build our faith up, those of us who are praying in the, in, in the Holy Spirit, those of us who are keeping ourselves in favor, those of us who are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be committing ourselves to tell those around us who do not know the good news of the gospel, we would share with them the greatest news in all the world, that Christ died for their sin. Who's the last person you've given the gospel to? I'm not, I'm not saying you have to grab your, your bullhorn and go down to the corner and start preaching every street corner you find. I'm not saying do that. If that's what God tells you to do, then you should be obedient to that. You should be tactful and wise, of course. But what I'm asking you is a very simple question. Who is the last person you shared the gospel with? We're in the gospel sharing business. So when's the last time you've given the gospel to someone? The easiest thing to do is to find someone who has decided to tear down their faith, reject the good news of the gospel, turn away from the truth, wave your hands up in the air, wipe the dust off your feet and say, well, good riddance. Hasta la vista, baby. And Jude is warning us against that. Jude is saying, hey, hey, not so fast. Jude is saying, no, 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 don't, don't just dismiss them. Don't just write them off. The greatest menace to the church can become the greatest mission for the church. You remember the Apostle Paul? Before he was the Apostle Paul, that great church planter, who was he? He was Saul, that Christian persecutor who oversaw the stoning of Stephen to death. 
We don't just wipe it off. We don't just move on. We don't just say, good riddance. No, no, no. We have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We press in, we reach, we teach, we pray, we serve, we give. In order to do what? In order that their soul might be saved from an eternity in hell. That's what. This is what awaits those who do not know Christ as their Savior. An eternity in hell. And God has placed you here. God has gifted you and called you and wired you and built you for this season. God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is not the time to say good riddance. No, no, this is the time to say we have the answer. The answer is right here in this book. Believe the gospel and be saved. Commit yourself this semester. I'm gonna share the gospel. I'm gonna give out the gospel. Somebody asked Billy Sunday once what his secret to a, a long and very illustrious career in evangelism was. Billy Sunday said three things. He said, first, I spend time, I spend 15 minutes a day listening to God talk to me while I read the Bible. He said, second, I spend 15 minutes a day talking to God in prayer. He said, third, I spend 15 minutes a day talking to someone else about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you you need to add that exact formula to your life, but for some of us, that would be a great place to start. 15 minutes a day in the word of God, 15 minutes a day in prayer to God, and 15 minutes a day telling someone else about our God. Your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your colleagues, the lady at the restaurant, the, the cashier at the convenience store. These are people that God brings across our path. There are no accidental people in your life. So give out the gospel. Man, how do we stand when others fall? How do we keep going when others shipwreck their faith? And Jude is offering to us just five very wonderful practical truths that I need to be added to my life. And I'm certain you could find one or two to add to yours. 